Welcome. Thank you for coming tonight. Um, I just want to <clears throat> thank you for joining us in, um, tonight to celebrate the republication of Alan Sekula's fish story. Uh, I'd like to begin by thanking the IAS for hosting this event, in particular the Institute Directors, Tamar Garb, as well as the speakers for agreeing to share with us their, share with us their thoughts on Sekula's book. I will not take up too much time with a lengthy introduction, though I do want to say a few words about the book, as well as the reasons why I asked our four speakers here tonight. I envisioned tonight's event as an opportunity to revisit or even re-see Fish Story, which was first published in 1995. Its life, though, precedes this date, with chapters shown in multiple exhibitions throughout the 1990s. Much like Sekula's work, Fish Story also grew and spread. It morphed with each exhibition and with each juxtaposition. It developed on the go. For many of us, this book is a familiar object. It has familiar coordinates. Those that have organized Sekula's work since the 1970s when he began making photo essays and writing some of the most trenchant and critical histories of photography. I am referring to Sekula's refusal to let a photograph stand or work alone. The point here is not that one photograph is never enough, that three must be appended on the page in a row. It is that photographs need the page and words. This was one of the many ways in which Sekula managed to, as he put it, brush photography against the grain, the title of his 1984 collection of writings and photo essays, which Mack republished in 2016. In that book, as well as in this one, Sekula refused to be a photographer. He refused to divide his labor or confirm photography's autonomy. He was photographer and critic. He worked with his hands and his head. This refusal may seem old school, not worthy of revisiting. That it is, I would argue, is also the work of Fish Story. It is, it too, that is, does not let the story of modernism go. Labor, its representation and its division is at the center of Fish Story. This has become the book's tagline. The words in, in words and photographs, Fish Story represents labor through a consideration of the ways in which, has, which it came to be hidden from view, the ways in which the sweat, the smell, the drudgery of work needed to be literally contained. It offers, that is, a, running a stunning retort to the myths of neoliberalism and the premise of, so of the so-called end of work. Yet it does so, I want to stress, by continuing to undo claims for autonomy. Again, this is not, it is not the multiplicity of photographs that matter, it is the multiplicity of authors. Here, in these pages, we have photographer and critic, as well as Herman Melville, Sergei Eisenstein, and Joseph Turner. More to the point, Battleship Potomkin finds its mooring and its footing next to snowstorm steamboat off a of harbor's mouth and Moby Dick. There's George Surratt's luncheon, Yuchi Dadje's rag pickers, and Walker Evans's or Vincent Van Gogh's shoes or at least this is what accrues for me in the pages of this book. No photograph or word is stable. Every form, all of them, have a history. Realism is always a response to earlier realisms, Sekula noted in 2005, adding, a previous convention becomes stale and overused. The metonymy shifts in scale, in attention to detail, etc. Revisiting, rereading, remaking was, the, in many ways, Sekula's work and as he demonstrated with an eye to the numerous mythologies about the purity of form, it was also the work of modernism. I envisioned tonight's event as an opportunity to make sure that this work of recall and response, the work of someone who could so adeptly unleash all of this on a page, is not forgotten. 
I invited, and I invited speakers who I thought would be keen to entertain the need to think with and through the histories, or in some cases, the futures that this book provides. Fish story, like much of Sekula's work, offers us much more than a lesson in how to write histories, sorry, much more than a lesson in how to write different or other histories to tell stories that don't get told. It offers a lesson in how histories get written, are replayed and reused over and over again. The need for this lesson today, for readers faced, overwhelmed with media and men who censor, not by de denying information, but by overloading the page and the screen with the same facts, cannot be overstated. It can, however, be restated with just a few lines from Fish Story, which very neatly encapsulate this as well as its charge. We know that actors can make politics. He was speaking of Ronald Reagan, but others, of course, will do. How do governments and actors who worked for governments move cargo? How do they do it without stories being told by those who do the work? Could the desire for the fully automated movement of goods also be a desire for silence, for the tyranny of the single anecdote? In words and photographs, this book, <clears throat> the words and photographs in this book don't or don't simply speak through or against the silence about the uneven logic of global capital. They excavate the ways in which silence works, becomes deafening. It is with this lesson in mind that I want to turn it over to our speakers. Each of these presentations will run about 15 minutes, leaving ample time for questions and comments. Our first speaker tonight is Steve Edwards, professor in the history of art at Birkbeck and the author of numerous publications on photography and documentary. His writing on Sekula appeared in Ship of Fools, the Docker Museums from 2005 though his examinations of everything from patents to portraiture has been jockeying with Sekula's work since the 1980s. And perhaps that's part of what you'll be speaking about tonight. Thank you. So thank you, Stephanie, and thank you all for coming. Um, it's, a, it's always a kind of pleasure to have to think with Sekula, so I hope we can um, have a productive evening. Um, what I, want, what I, I said to Stephanie that really, as uh, she was intimating, I'm, I'm really stuck in the 1840s, so, um, so when she asked me to think about Sekula again, um, I said until the last minute I didn't know what I was going to do. So what, I, what I've decided to do is present a kind of reception history. In a wonderful introduction to the new edition of Fish Story, Lela Khalili notes that when she encountered Sekula's work, she regretted that she knew she would never have the chance to meet him and regale him with questions. It's an understandable response since Fish Story elicits such questions. And I'm sure that Khalili's regret will be a common response for most of those involved in the new reception of Sekula, including, that is, my colleagues on this panel. And that makes my presence here something of an oddity. I've been engaging with Sekula's work for nearly, th for nearly 40 years, um, publishing around eight essays and giving dozens of talks on his work. I first read his essays as an art student 
1984, I spent almost a week's unemployment benefit on mining photographs. In 86 and 87, I wrote a pair of essays on his writing and photo, photo works, which I think may have been the first engagement with his thinking and practice outside of North America. I foolishly claimed then, and this is a confession, that he would be remembered for his historical studies uh, rather than his photo works. Um, and that, that comment appeared in the year that his final historical essay was actually published, Body in the Archive. Thereafter, his writing was accompanied, his writing has only ever accompanied photographic books and exhibitions, and his work, his photo work and film work has become increasingly influential. So through the period from then to now, I continued to write and think about his work. I traveled around Europe to see many of his most important shows, visiting Antwerp, Edinburgh, Casal, Lisbon, Liverpool, London, Vienna, and Zurich. In 1996, with Alan, I conducted the first public engagement of Fish Story. I co-organized the first British screening of Lottery of the Sea fronted the, uh, the forgotten space at what may have been its UK premiere and contributed an essay to his final publication, Ship of Fools, the Dockers Museum. I have two unpublished interviews with him and wrote two, or two obituaries. On several occasions, I shared public platforms with him and whenever he came to the UK, he would stay with Gail Day and me for days on end. Once, when he was ill, he suggested we drive across the US from Los Angeles to Texas with um, Don Judd's Martha as an excuse for a long road trip. I recall these personal experiences and personal engagements not to center my own work, though I, I do want to take some responsibility for the reception of Sekula, but <coughs> because I think, um, but because I want to think about the reception of his work over this extended period, over his work since the 1970s through to the present reissue of Fish Story. What attracted me to Alan's work was his rejection of the staged image and, um, and, the in, and his insistence on realism, his militant voice and continued reference to class and Marxism at a time when these things were becoming unmentionable in Britain. Sukula found the intellectual and artistic currents of the 1980s and 1990s cut too easily with rather than against the grain. He argued that the rejection of social documentary contributed to a theatricalized epistemological skepticism. During this time, his invocations of Voloshinov, Lukash, Marx, and Zon Retal offered an alternative to the dominant currents in photographic theory at least for those who doubted the postmodern consensus. And all of that chimed with me as a young art student and activist. I now think that I underestimated the influence of Foucault on his thinking, an attitude that was clearly overdetermined by the British rightist reception of Foucault and the work of my own teacher, John Tagg. I recall discussing Foucault with Alan in the mid-1990s. He'd wanted to see the sights of Luddism in the East Midlands, and we returned from taking him around the, the area to a restaurant in Derby, opposite the site where the Pentridge insurrectionaries had been executed in 1817. 
Peter Leinbau's great book, The London Hanged, had just appeared. And Alan asked me why Peter stressed excarceration and the escapades of Jack Shepard. My answer was Foucault. That is to say that an important context for Alan's work was the tradition of history from below in the British communist tradition. And incidentally, I think that it really hasn't been grasped that the archive for Sekula exists suspended in a triangulated location between the thought of Foucault, value form analysis, and British social history. I argued in the 1996 public discussion of Fish Story that an important way to understand this decisive project was to see it as a work of the new social history rather than simply as an artwork. I was thinking of Raphael Samuel, Caroline Steedman, and Lionbow. But perhaps even more so, Sue Clayton and Jonathan Curling's 1979 film, Song of the Shirt, and Mick Eaton's Darkest England of 1984. Now largely forgotten, these films combine the neo-avant-garde narrative modes with social history, seeking a new form for presenting the past. It strikes me that to understand Fish Story, these two dimensions, social history or social theory, and the montage form have to be held together. Fish Story, and I think Stephanie's just intimated this, is amongst other things a dialogue between uh, modernist and realist strands in the Marxist tradition. If the first reaction to Sekula's work was to treat it as an alternative <coughs> to the postmodern retreat from politics, there was a second reception beginning, I think, around 1999. With the rise of the anti-globalization movement, it suddenly became possible to talk again about capitalism without people sniggering. For those of you who don't remember what the 80s and the 90s were, that, that's just a reminder. Alan's work became a touchstone for the re-emergence of the art and politics debate. This involved his 80-slide 80 slide, uh, sequence, waiting for tear gas, white globe to black, made in the heat and smoke of the Seattle protests against the World Trade Organization, and including, in, included in the Verso book, Five Days That Shocked the World. Incidentally, as soon as it appeared, I saw it in Lisbon, installed by Jürgen Bach in, in the uh, Monument to the Discoverers. And it's one of the most incredible installation works I've seen in that, in that context, where a kind of fascist monument to the discovery of the so-called New World met its resistance in, in Seattle. It was a wonderful uh, presentation by, by Jürgen. Alan had been traveling on the Global Mariner, the campaign vessel of the International Transport Federation, Workers' Federation, and that was moored in Seattle with an exhibition which people um, went to see off the streets. It appears as the positive half of Good Ship, Bad Ship, Limassol Diptych in Ship of Fools. And just a couple of years later, in 2002, Fish Story was installed in its entirety for, as the spine for Okwe and Wazer's Documentary 11, tying together all those local places represented in other works. Thereafter, a series of exhibitions, books, and films provided a reference point for an anti-capitalist structure of feeling that was emerging in art. His untimely death, I think, only amplified that situation. In one sense, that changed context made it possible to reevaluate early responses to his writing 
and visual work. And I'm not going to do that, but I think that the, 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 the ways in which to see the dialogue between Foucault and value form analysis in those earlier works now comes in, into the frame, I think. I do think, though, that there is now a third reception emerging, which I want to call the logistical secula. Realism is, and in important dimensions, an art of new characters and new stories. A form that attempts to depict the appearances and experiences of late capitalism. It asks us to pay attention to lives ignored in the mainstream media. Fish Dory is exemplary in this regard, with its cast of seafarers, shipbuilders, wharf scavengers, longshore workers, union organisers, and so forth. However, the point is broader than that. Fish Dory is a work that explicitly seeks to counter what he called cognitive blindness. In words and photographs, Fish Dory documents the central, if very visible, place of the sea in the modern economy by bringing together images from the world's port cities. And let's recall those that figure in, in Fish Dory. New York, Port Elizabeth of New Jersey, San Diego, San Pedro and Los Angeles, Minturno, <coughs> Italy, Barcelona and Vigo, Mexico City and Veracruz, Seoul, Seoul, Ilsan, Pusan and Ulsan, Hong Kong, Warsaw, Gdansk, Glasgow and Newcastle, Rotter uh, Rotterdam, and of course, out at sea in the North Atlantic above the sea land quality. This was a major contribution to reshaping thinking about art and the social world, opening up a global imagination beyond a parochial Euro-American American concern with postmodernism and the associated sloppy conception of deindustrialization. Fish story always complicated that story. Think of the representation of the Kaiser Steelworks, presenting deindustrialization in the core as one moment in the history of global capitalist accumulation strategies. So what I really admire about Lala Kalili's introduction to the new edition of Fish Story, other than her prose, which I think is rather wonderful, is that she takes the spirit of this centrifugal thrusting in Fish Story and accelerates it. A contribution is, I think, a sympathetic critique of Sakula's book that movingly stays true to its central impetus. New characters and new places are added to Alan's geographical imagination expanding the interconnections of global capitalism. One passage will have to do to make the point. Kalili writes, Paging through Sekula's photography of the ports prepared me for such places as Jabal Ali Port, which brings together Nepalese security guards, Yemeni pilots, Punjabi dock workers, the Southeast, crane Southeast Asian crane operators, all managed by a mixture of Emirati middle managers, Indian technocrats, and Northwest European administrators. So many of the ports in polyglot world cities, not just Singapore or Dubai, but Los Angeles and London, encapsulate this global, racially striated hierarchy of labor. It's one critique of Allen that that is not to the forefront of the work, and so I think that bringing it out is one of the things that's really important. Uh, we can talk about that, but I think that it's one of the things that's really important about Lala's contribution. In her essay, Voices Proliferate, and Derek Walcott, Amin Rahani, and Edward Glissant are added to Alan's earlier points of reference. If some things have remained the same, consider his ongoing materialism in opposition to post-workerist immaterial labor in place of his earlier countering of Baudrillard's simulacra. The new context 
is the attempt to think capitalism as an interconnected world system in which hierarchies of gender, race, and class are complexly overdetermined by what Jairus Banerjee calls trajectories of accumulation. Sekula offers a starting point for this new vision of an even but combined structure of global capitalist domination. Lala's contribution indicates that Sekula's project is capable of sustaining further expansion, which might give us a fuller picture of racialized world capitalism. I would, though, want to make one point about this new logistical reception of Sekula in Khalili, Alberto Toscano and Jeff Kinkle, Charmaine Chow, Jack Chen, and others. The point is to insist on my own discipline, on photographic history and visual thinking alongside the social imagination. Sekula read and thought a great deal about global capitalism, about port cities and maritime labor, but he also thought about visual form just as much. To view Fish Story and its sequels without juxtaposition and interconnection, in the absence of horizontal or sequential montage, without the switch of representational modes from portrait to panorama or the traditions of representing labor, is to draw his work into a sociological orbit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Fish Dory was the first and probably the most important example of art as social research. His work offers a proper duties, but with such an approach, we risk denying ourselves the resource that he developed for drawing those very global contradictions into visibility. The reception of Sekula's work has been dominated by art historians and art theorists. So the newer engagement from socialists thinking about capital and racialized hierarchies is incredibly important. His work, after all, should be for thinking with as well as thinking about. Allen was an incredibly erudite artist. There are something like 10,000 books in his library. But having spent time with him, I realize how central montage and the history of the photo book was to his thinking and his practice. For him, there was always another connection to be made and always a further reference to add. Sequence and opposition of images drive the work. We shouldn't forget that he continually and repeatedly appealed to Roman Jacobson's distinction between metaphor and metonymy. In some ways, his propulsive imagination was a curse, making it difficult for him to complete those projects. Sally Stein, his wife, told me that at one point, when he was in remission from his illness, he immediately booked a dozen flights to shoot new material. We can imagine him thinking about the absences in what he'd, what he'd managed to put together, the connections still he had to make. The same point might be made about his hoarding tendencies. Think of the thousands of objects that constitute the Dockers Museum, but also all the photographic junk he collected and that Sally had to sell on eBay when he died. Drawing a distinction from Lukash that, is, that was, has been very important to Frederick Jameson between intensive and extensive totality, I'm inclined to suggest in conclusion that Sekula tried to produce a cognitive map for contemporary capitalism that involved both an intensified and extended totality. This may be an impossible project, but the intention was invaluable in a time of political amnesia and the silly antipathy to totalization. This project required him working in a form that thought to sublate the opposition between modernism and realism. My point is that add to the new reception is to still to insist 
that the mode of sequential montage and paraliteral documentary are not incidental to this project. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, um, for that wonderful overview of his work and his projects and for saying what I, you know, much better of what I wanted to say about the need to kind of think the photograph. Um, I'm going to turn it over quickly to our next speaker, Simon Constantine, who's a teaching fellow in the history of art, um, the Par Department of History of Art here at UCL, who's teaching a course on documentary. And he will be speaking around Sekula's um, fish story in relation to capital. Yeah. 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 So with the ongoing interest in engaged practices and aesthetics, there are many reasons to return to fish story. Alan Sekula's seminal analysis of the maritime economy and the culmination of his long-standing attempt to reinvent documentary practice. Indeed, while Sekula's Marxism and commitment to realism were unpopular when the project was created, it has since acquired a kind of prophetic status as a work which anticipated everything from the interest in globalization to the documentary turn. However, fish story was not simply a defense of lost causes, but an ambitious shift in Sekula's practice of the kind which can sometimes occur during moments of defeat. The work is far wider in scope and more varied in content than any of his earlier projects, just as much an analysis of neoliberalism itself as it is a study of the sea. It was also at this point he later noted that he abandoned the positions of artist and critic for those of photographer and writer. The result is a sequence of intimidating complexity. On opening the book, which is only one version of the project, we are confronted with photographs, diagrams, art historical essays, quotes, Marxist theory, gallows humor, all organized into nonlinear chapters which follow a broader montage principle. So in the text which punctuate and surround Fish Story, Zakula suggests several ways to read this sequence as a disassembled movie, a pseudo-geographical chain, an attempt to evoke the rhythm of the sea, and so on. However, my research has focused on perhaps his most audacious claim that the sequence was inspired by the method of moving from concrete to abstract and back down to the concrete, described in Karl Marx's Grundrisse and practiced in Das Kapital. It's not entirely clear how literally we should take this suggestion. Indeed, Sekula frames Marx's method as more of a regulative principle or animating force <laughs> than as a rigid framework. Is he evoking a comparison between montage and the dialectic of the kind proposed by figures of the left avant-garde, or a kind of real homology with capital itself? It will not be possible to address all of the problems raised by these questions today, or to do justice to Sekula's interest in Alfred Sonrettel's notion of real abstraction. Instead, by focusing on the first few pages of Fish Story, I will explore how Sekula transforms Marx's methodology into a way of thinking about the photo sequence, one that constitutes a key political, economic, and critical thread within the book as a whole. So in order to achieve this, I want to begin by unpacking the notion of realism implied in Sekula's use of the term concrete. By the mid-1980s, Sekula had become known for a form of critical realism, which, among other things, involved placing different photographic tropes in sequential combinations to reveal both their rhetoric and their truth content. 
Whilst this approach remains active in fish story, Sakula reduced its theatrical tendencies in response to the fashion for stage photography and as means through which to approximate what he called the stubborn materiality of late capitalist society. The term concrete first appears in his discussions of this shift as a synonym for the real, physical materiality of goods, ships, and so on. However, in the accompanying essay on fish story, The Coffin Learns to Dance, Sekula also introduces a, a second definition, or a different definition, derived from the following passage from the Grundrisse. The concrete is concrete because it is the concentration of many determinations, hence unity of the diverse. Here, Sekula continues to use the term concrete as a synonym for the reality of the maritime world, but with an important shift in emphasis. Now its concreteness is defined, not simply by its physicality, but by its existence as a unity, one comprised of mutually constitutive components that must be mapped out, captured, and analyzed. <coughs> this does not simply involve adopting a global framework. It also requires explaining the real relations, both physical and social, which hold this unity together. In short, the form of critical realism adopted in Fish Story involved reviving the principle of totality, as Steve's just spoken about. So in this sense, it's hardly surprising that the project, the project had a tendency to expand and become increasingly elaborate. The book is the conclusion of six years of photographic work, art historical study, fieldwork and travel, not to mention several earlier exhibitions. However, Sekula's insistence on the need to move from concrete to abstract and back down to the concrete implies that the final version was also inspired by Marx's understanding of how to present and structure such a body of research. Indeed, it will be my claim that Sekula uses the different steps implied by Marx's method to grant the acts of editing and sequencing a kind of logical and critical foundation. In what follows, I will attempt to explain the purpose of these steps and the photographic counterparts. So to my mind, one of the key reasons for Sekula's interest in Marx's method, amongst others, is that it provides a solution to the problem of beginnings. More specifically, if one assumes that the goal of the critical realist is to explain a vast relational unity, how can a beginning in its isolation contribute to this task? On one level, the start of any sequence, be it a photograph or a concept, is inherently a movement from concrete to abstract, in that it must select abs or abstract certain aspects from a concrete unity and exclude others. As such, the problem becomes choosing which aspect to isolate in order to lay the groundwork for a richer understanding of the whole. Fish story is underpinned by an extensive engagement with this problem. As Sekula once put it, the book in fact has four beginnings, the Aristotle quote, two images of a child on the Staten Island Ferry, the first prose piece and the essay Dismal Science Part One. However, he also added a further two, the frontispiece and the famous panoramic cover image. On first encounter, this image would appear to depict the beginning of Sekula's travels or imply an attempt to sum up the concrete in its entirety. However, it was taken three years earlier, sorry, three years after the project started and has no direct con con connection to the empirical point of departure. It also contains a kind of domineering motif which tames and centers the infinity of the panorama. In this sense, Sekula's choice of beginning would seem, based, would seem to be based not on contingency of the project's actual beginning or an attempt to overawe the viewer, but upon a sense of ontological priority. It implies an attempt to abstract or isolate a relation which is foundational to the unity under analysis, one that needs to be addressed before any other aspects of the maritime economy can be understood. The, movement which, sorry, the moment which Sekula chooses to perform this role is, in effect, the same one that Marx adopted in Capital, the commodity. So in this sense, Fish Story begins, in a certain sense, by reaffirming Marx's basic insight that the commodity is the center or economic cell form of societies dominated by exchange. 
Indeed, Sekula would appear to have been fascinated by this image of containers, which also forms the backbone of his 2010 film with Noel Birch, The Forgotten Space, on account of its capacity to dramatize the conflict between capitalism's central nervous system um, and what he sometimes calls the uncommodifiable excess of the sea. In a later stage of the sequence, various aspects of the success return as an interruptive force, puncturing the logistical flow of such images. However, at the beginning, they are largely abstracted away, allowing us to view the commodity in relative isolation. The movement from concrete to abstract is, in this sense, also an analytical force. It extracts the commodity from the complexity of the concrete in order to address its inner nature. Of course, it could be argued that photography cannot perform such an abstraction as it is permanently, connect permanently connected to the particular. In other words, while Marx analyzed the basic features of the commodity, Sekula seems to depict a specific instance of exchange or trans transportation. Indeed, Fish Story's first prose piece is partly a reflection upon this problem, noting how the residents of harbors were once fooled into thinking that they could know the global economy from the specific goods which passed through them, when in reality, to quote Sekula, this movement can be explained in its totality only through recourse to abstraction. However, the image is also a demonstration of several types of abstraction which can be achieved through photography. <coughs> For a start, it puts out of sight both the exchanging parties and the specific commodities, their weight, taste, and smell. The image is presented without the location and date given in its later appearance in the sequence. Moreover, Sekula abstracts away the means of transporting the commodities by raising the camera upward to exclude it from the frame. As a result, the photograph is inherently ambiguous, or as he once put it, fragmentary and incomplete. The commodities could be anything, traveling on any sea, by any means and to anywhere. Yet unlike other forms of contemporary art, which, in Sekula's words, treat this ambiguity as an end in itself, Sekula used it to pinpoint certain essential components which, which persist amidst the polysemy. Despite its ambiguity, the image retains the basic message that the containers must contain a variety of things which other people want, use values, which are also being exchanged for something else that is functioning as exchange values, the two universal features of every capitalist commodity. In this sense, the image achieves a type of generality, not through aspiring to the concept, but through a strategic bracketing of the real. By adopting this opening, Fishtory begins in a kind of ambiguous historical register, pinpointing a relation which is key to both the early st earliest stages of capitalism and its present conjuncture. However, it also provides a kind of vantage point from which further relations can be introduced and analyzed until a fully historical picture of the current global economy reemerges, a movement from abstract to concrete. Indeed, the form of abstraction practiced by Sekula is underpinned by a type of structured inadequacy, one which encourages an aspiration towards totality. Whilst the initial abstraction allows us to analyze the commodity in its most basic form, it also removes other elements which are logically necessary to the real existence of the exchange process. For example, as Marx famously argued, it's impossible to understand how two commodities can be exchanged as equivalents without introducing the question of abstract labor. Thus, the beginning creates a problem which motivates the introduction of further steps. As such, it's possible to see how this Marxian logic of moving from abstract to concrete resonates with Sekula's long-standing preference for the photo sequence, which holds different elements together in a narrative progression over the photo series in which each image possesses the same theme and format, and he associated this with a kind of commercial component in contemporary art. In a photo sequence, it's possible to leap to another aspect of the totality that was previously abstracted away, such leaps recontextualize the preceding image and subtly alter its meaning. 
In Fish Story, the six beginnings follow this logic. Each component uses a different representational device to introduce a new topic, creating a kind of mini-sequence which moves back and forth, adding firmer determinations to the act of exchange depicted in the cover image. So in doing so, the sequence gradually reconstructs a circuit of capital, very similar to that described in Marx's magnum opus. While it will not be possible to draw out the subtleties of its form or content, it's worth outlining the basic story. Following the cover image, Sekula introduced an image which is presumably intended to evoke the concept of abstract labor, a diagram of a disembodied hand from Diderot and D'Alembert's Encyclopedia. The image is then followed by two others shot on the Staten Island Ferry of a boy carrying a shopping bag, presumably containing a commodity. In this sense, the sequence suggests an imagined chain in which commodities from the ships are sold, compared as quantities of abstract labor, and finish in the hand of the boy. However, now these images have been introduced, the circuit also splits into two parts. The boy is positioned as a buyer, that is, as someone who exchanges money for a specific use value. The cover image, on the other hand, depicts use values passing away into the distance. More specifically, it implies, it implies an invisible seller of some kind who exchanges use values in order to acquire money. In the first art historical essay, Sekula used a series of techniques to increase the implied scale of this act of selling. For example, the panorama of the cover image is revealed to be, among other things, a reference to Hendrik Vroom's 1599 painting, Return of the Second Dutch Exposition to, to the West Indies, which depicts ships bringing back vast quantities of commodities to the mainland for sale. In this sense, the cover begins to suggest an act of selling in order to acquire ever greater sums of money or as money advanced in return to, sell, to, the, to the seller in greater quantities. Indeed, as the sequence intensifies, the containers begin to resemble stacks of banknotes. The shipment has already reached its ultimate goal to return to where it started as a greater quantity of value. In addition to its content, there are two things to stress about this initial sequence. First, that it follows a logical pattern of accumulation. Unraveling the structural contradiction laid out in the initial account of the commodity, rather than a specific empirical commodity chain. In other words, it's not actually this boy acquiring these commodities. It, it presents it as a sequence in which it's a kind of more of a logical connection. Secondly, in doing so, it also begins to simulate the, the self-valorization of capital as a shift between moments of the sequence. So in conclusion, the beginnings of Fish Story reenact a picture of capitalist accumulation as it occurs with an exchange. Following Marx, the book will later go on to show that this picture contains another inadequacy, namely that to understand the self-valorization of capital requires an analysis of the buying and selling of labor power and the labor process itself. However, after the six beginnings, the sequence breaks off, and we must wait until the chapter Loaves and Fishes for a systematic analysis of these questions. In this sense, Fish Story allows the viewer to dwell within a kind of semi-mercantilist image of capital before plunging them into the grim world of maritime production. This interval is indicative of one final aspect of the critical work performed by Sekula's sequence that I want to discuss today, namely that each of its transitions represents not just a logical or ontological progression, but the overcoming of a barrier. Indeed, Sekula was interested in how, in their original context, each of the tropes used in the first sequence concealed certain discomforting aspects about capitalist society. For example, we learn how Dutch maritime painting presents the interests of mercantile capitalists by avoiding the fact that the ships were instruments of bloody plunder, to use Sekula's language. In other places, Sekula also demonstrates how the neoliberal transformation of the city and the seafront has separated the sites of exchange and of production, making it easy for Western elites to ignore the fact that backbreaking labor still occurs in the modern world. In Sekula's sequence, however, the contiguity of sequential elements undermines both forms of containment. 
Fish story jumps between tropes and, and across spatial barriers to progressively re reveal the iniquity of the whole. Thanks. Thank you, Simon. Uh, our next speaker is Andrew Witt, who, of course, I know who he is, but I have it all written down here, but I can't. Who's the Tara Foundation for American Art postdoctoral fellow at the Humboldt in Berlin, um, and also a former student of ours at the History of Art Department at UCL, who will be speaking about um, Sekula's work in Fish Story in relation to the geography of Los Angeles. Ooh, I just added a slide to your presentation. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks, thank Steph. you. Uh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you all for coming. Um, yeah, sure. In the light, I need to take my glasses off. Um, great. So, ask the dust. Um, so, I want to begin my talk tonight with an image not of the sea, but of a burning building in Koreatown, Los Angeles. The photograph is found halfway through the first chapter of Sekula's fish story. It is late April 1992, the same month and year when Los Angeles burned for five straight days after the not guilty verdict in the Rodney King trial. In the image, smoke bleeds across the skyline while a fireman turned away from the camera's lens reaches past the broken threshold to direct his hose toward the collapsed structure. Obliquely tilted, the billboard that punctuates the top half of the image sinks through the roof of the building, almost resembling a half-sunken bow of a ship. The female protagonist of the image, uh, of the photograph, not yet touched by the riot's flame, but burnished by a golden halo, looks out toward the viewer and calmly surrenders to the wreck wreckage. This particular photograph is the 14th image in the book sequence. The image is placed before a double-page spread of two blurry nighttime photographs shot in May 1990 of shipyard workers' housing, uprooted, repurposed, and later moved, just like shipping containers, from the neighborhood of San Pedro to south-central Los Angeles. In a rather uneventful daytime photograph of immigrant workers in Los Angeles Harbor cleaning up a chemical spill, October 1992. In this opening chapter, Sekula's movements are expansive and disorienting, shuttling from Staten Island Ferry in New York to an ancient port in Rome to an automated harbor in Rotterdam. And yet, all the while, the camera doubles back to the photographer's native Los Angeles, for it is LA and Southern California upon which the first sequence pivots. As the project jumps anachronistically backwards and forwards in time and geographically from one city to the next, the sequence returns again and again to Los Angeles. For instance, when Sekula explores the abandoned shipyard at Terminal Island, LA, his camera is intent on detailing the port's many afterlives, afterlives and guises. Terminal Island reincarnated as a movie set. Elsewhere, its buildings reconstructed as a mock village for U the US Marines to practice counter-terrorist exercises. And finally, the site reclaimed as an improvised ship scrapyard where the unemployed shipyard sandblaster, a woman named Pancake, is photographed scavenging for copper. 
As the sequence unfolds, we come to realize that the many different workers who make a living by and through the sea, deckhands, cooks, sailors, welders, and the like, are not just seasonally employed, but more often than not, unemployed. If one could say that Sukula adopts the traditional stance of photographic reportage, he approaches the stance obliquely in order to unlock a different trajectory to the genre. For instance, the specificity of a day's events, such as a riot, a chemical spill, or a rechristening of the Exxon Valdez oil tanker in the San Diego Harbor as the Exxon Mediterranean, are suggestively paired with the dirty minutia of photographic observation. In two photographs taken in the bankrupt Todd shipyard, two years after its closing, the camera pauses on a vacant welder's booth. Sekula picks up a wrench, one can presume, and moves it ever so slightly to reveal the passage of time, a glowing after image of dust, grime, and rust. The model of photography on offer here is one dedicated to a dislocating mode of presentation, an account that takes into consideration the unexpected jumps and counter movements found within the photographic sequence, Rome to Rotterdam, for instance, but also the slow unfolding of a particular site through photographic description, Terminal Island. In this mode, the work should be read in its messy specificity, something like an obdurate physical impression or trace, similar to Sikula's photograph of dust and grime, considered here as a moment of historical delay and latency. The oscillations of Sikula's camera, wandering but direct, curious but critical, is elaborated suggestively in the very first pair of images from Fish Story, where Sikula photographs a young boy in Staten Island Ferry, shown grasping at a set of stationary binoculars, looking off camera, we are told, toward his mother. One could presume, perhaps, that this young boy is asking his mother for some spare change to unlock the binoculars so that he is able to cast his eyes upon the expansive panorama, possibly the blurry ship set off in the distance or some sea life as it floats by on the horizon. It should be stressed that these images do not stand alone but are intricately entwined with the passages and aphorism that Sekula appends to the sequence. In the, in the first aphorism, for instance, Sekula aligns his project methodologically with what he calls crude materialism, a way of working, he tells us, born out of growing up in the harbor of San Pedro. This method is, an, is unapologetically Marxist in its bent, but also one with a specific object of analysis, the ruins, disasters, catastrophes of capitalism. And yet, this type of materialism is never content with the ruin and disaster as such, but it is dedicated to uncover the peculiar afterlives of the disaster, the conditions through which waterfront brothels are reconstituted as condominiums, shipyards are turned into movie sets, and the old harbor front, like many harbor fronts of today, reclaimed for a Sunday stroll. When history survives through these traces, the task of the historical materialist, the sequence claims, is to provide expression to what has been obscured or evicted from experience, rather than bask in the power and the glory of official history. In many respects, the camera then is committed to those who continue to live and work within these forgotten spaces. Seen through another lens, Sekula's crude materialism could be said to have adopted the diverse language of the port, a language no doubt heard from below, encountered in the unemployment offices of Gnask, in the fish markets of Puerto Pesquero, throughout the outskirts of Los Angeles, within the engine rooms of tuna fishing boats, 
and not to forget either around the longshore workers' charcoal grill. But one could perhaps understand this crude materialism also through the searching and somewhat naive vision of the young boy who grabs the binoculars in Staten Island Ferry with the desire and hope to cast a roaming glance upon the sea. So two years after exhibiting Fish Story in Rotterdam in December 1995, the artist presented a paper at the Getty Research Institute titled Los Angeles Graveyard of Documentary. At no time did the artist address Fish Story explicitly, but the talk did detail how Los Angeles, as a city, defied the documentary genre. In his paper, Sekula outlined 13 theses through which social documentary seemed impossible in Los Angeles, to quote one thesis. Urban form, reads one thesis, resists all traditional forms of social description. Physiognomy is impossible from the automobile. Distance frustrates social comparison. In many ways, Sikula was drawing on one of the old tenets of the social history of art, a way of working that is concerned with the constraints or blind spots of, art, of artistic work as much as what permits work or one's vision in the first place. In this tradition, of course, Sikula's remarks were meant to be read as, or are, are meant to be read as rhetorical. Social documentary is not impossible per se, but the genre is imagined as constrained by a series of limits, wherein each limit is imagined as a barrier, a barrier that has been historically and periodically superseded and overcome. No doubt it would be somewhat peculiar for Sikula to suggest that social documentary was impossible or dead just after completing Fish Story, a work that dealt extensively with Los Angeles through the lens of documentary. <clears throat> for Sikula, writing in the late 1990s, the persistence of documentary in Southern California for him occurred only, to quote him, marginally and cryptically as a dead genre, elsewhere understood in his words as a type of zombie realism. The zombie form in this instance was a documentary mode to quote Sikula, where the living speak only through the dead or through the, those states of being that fall between life and death. Now, his examples are few and far between. Henri Cartier-Bresson's photographs of the, un, of the unemployed in Pershing Square, Ed Ruscha's real estate opportunities, and Maya Deren's experimental films. All these questions seem pertinent today, especially in the wake of Helen Molesworth's final exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. One Day at a Time, Manny Farber and Termite Art. Termite Art, distinguished from what Farber called white elephant art, a distinction between an art that pursues the condition of the masterpiece, white elephant art, and those works that are indifferent to that condition, termite art. As a student of Farber's at UCSD, Sukula often aligned his work in interviews alongside that of the work of the termite. To quote Farber, a peculiar fact about termite, tapeworm, fungus, moss art is that it goes always forward eating its own boundaries and, likely as not, leaves nothing in its path other than the signs of eager, industrious, unkempt activity. <clears throat> what is unique about Sekula's argument throughout the 1990s is how the city is imbricated symptomatically with photography. Both are imagined as mutually mediated in an interlacing network of relations, a knot of relations entwined through their desires and constraints, accesses and missing links. And in many respects, seeking out, Sekula's work seeks out the afterlife of the ruin and disaster to find obstinate forms 
of material and mnemonic survival. In the camera's recurrent focus on Los Angeles and Southern California, we can see the ways in which crude materialism and the peculiar stakes of Sikula's documentary meet. For it is Los Angeles where the artist first began to work through the problems and contradiction of, of planning and realizing a work of such scale, scope, and magnitude. But I should add, too, that it is also where the work culminate, culminates. Now, in the final chapter of the book, Sikula's camera lingers from a respectful distance on a figure of exhaustion and depletion, a man sleeping under a eucalyptus tree in, in Embarcadero Park, San Diego. The sequence then travels to Fontana, a suburb of Southern California, to witness the dismantling of the once impressive steel mill. Along the way, his camera encounters Mike and Mary, the unemployed couple who make a living by scavenging for scrap metal and who, occasionally, seek shelter in empty shipping containers. For those who travel to Los Angeles, this image of sleep and exhaustion is ubiquitous throughout Southern California. Representations of labor, the photographer once remarked in an interview in 2003, is always shadowed by the absence of labor, by labor in the negative, by the nightmare of unemployment on one side, and by the utopian dream of genuine freedom from work on the other. Sikula works through these tensions throughout Fish Story, balancing the nightmarish currents of global capital, the unrelenting race to the bottom through dispossession, destitution, eviction, and exploitation, countered with fleeting glimpses of genuine freedom, principally figured as the dream of a life without work. These are the peculiar rhythms of the book, a work that weaves together a complex knot of times and relations, places and figures, a mode of photography and a mode of scene that is attracted as much to the discarded wrench laden with dust as with a burning building consumed by a riotous flame. But not to forget either the warm shadows of trees where dreams lie in wait. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Um, our final speaker is Jonathan Stafford, who is a lecturer in media and communication at the University of Nottingham. Um, he will be speaking tonight around some other contemporary examples of photography and the problem of fragmentation. Okay, thank you to Stephanie for this uh, invitation to speak. Um, so, um, in Shipwreck with Spectator, a long essay from 1979, the German philosopher Hans Blumenberg reflects upon the enduring metaphor of the ship at sea as a means for coming to terms with the totality of lived experience. This is a trope whereby, he writes, humans represent their overall condition in the world in terms of a sea voyage. Historicizing this motif, Blumenberg likens the classical philosopher's relation to the world, which is the object of contemplation, to the spectator who observes a ship in a storm at sea from the perspective of the safety of dry land. For Blumenberg, theorizing is an activity ideally performed from a position <coughs> of externality. 
such a, such a position, he claims, was one which became untenable with the dawning of the modern era. There is no longer a firm standpoint, he writes, from which the historian could be a distant spectator. Subjected themselves to the very forces of history they hope to comprehend, modern humans can only witness the shipwreck from on board the imperiled ship itself. This death of objectivity which Blumenberg <laughs> diagnoses can be identified with an increasingly integrated capitalist world system. Representing this totality is still a task for the theorist, but the crisis of modern capitalism is one which must be theorized from within the catastrophe itself. This is how I would like to present Sakula's fish, fish story. Um, but we've been asked to consider the importance and relevance of fish story today. What strikes me is a desperate need for a return to Sekula's ideas and images today as a response to a wider ignoring of the claims of the politi politically engaged critique of photography as social practice of which his work was just one part. I'm thinking here of the commitment to such a position exemplified by, but not limited to, Victor Bergen's 1982 collection, Thinking Photography. We can contrast this with a more recent contribution to photographic discourse, Susie Linfield's The Cruel Radiance of 2012. To say that this, this book sets up a straw man is to state the obvious. This is a volume which blithely dismisses Sekula, an almost vulgarly materialist Marxist, as what Linfield terms a postmodernist, a term which seems to be a byword for anyone who has attempted to problematize the politics of seeing in the global economy of the representation of suffering. The very fact that Linfield can publish a book which simply refuses to engage with the specificity of the nuanced debates and arguments regarding photographic representation which took place from the late 70s to the early 90s illustrates the extent to which critique has moved to a very odd place. I don't want to dwell on my intense dislike of this book, but I think it is symptomatic of a wider current in contemporary photographic discourse regarding documentary which simply refuses to engage with the legacy of the debates to which Sekula contributed. And recent developments in documentary photography itself bear this out, I would argue. Accompanying the unexpected revival of documentary photography as an artistic medium is a refusal to engage with the Gordian knot of all the thorny problems identified in the distinction between documentary and art as a founding principle of photographic discourse. Specifically, this might be distilled in Sekula's contention in his 1978 essay, Dismantling Modernism, Reinventing Documentary, that, quote, Documentary is thought to be art when it transcends its reference to the world, when the work can be regarded first and foremost as an act of self-expression on the part of the artist. <coughs> the denial of this problematic is perhaps nowhere more emphatically expressed than in the Magnum and Newsweek photographer Luke Delahaye's 2004 declaration that he was no longer a photojournalist, he was an artist. The work which followed this announcement was characterized by none of the humanism which Magnum was famous for, and indeed, Delahaye left the agency soon after. The photographs which formed his ensuing project history were, were distinguished by the cold detachment, the large format stepping back from the scene, which is characteristic of much recent photography, which straddles the worlds of documentary and art. Contemporary documentary photography becomes art not in the moment of the assertion of the photographer's subjectivity, but in, but in its rep repression and denial. Putting aside the economic reasons for Delahaye's career change, the very sidestepping of contemporary photographic practice of one of the founding narratives of photography as a genre and discipline is noteworthy. The unexpected revival of documentary photography 
And the equally unexpected attention of this, of this genre to the logistical slash infrastructural spectacle is worth dwelling upon, especially given Sekula's critical insight regarding the forgetting of the sea and shipping. The maritime work of Edward Bertinsky and Henrik Spohler certainly exhibit the large format renunciation of classical documentary aesthetics. This logistical turn can be understood in the context of Michael Tausig's insistence in a work itself certainly indebted to fish story, that commodity fetishism be understood not merely as the repression and elision of the materiality of labor, but its simultaneous re-emergence as spectacle. This brings us around to one of the key points of relevance of fish story today in its materialist critique of the cyberspace ideology of immateriality and acceleration. Sekula's precedent insistence that the maritime makes visible the persistence of materiality and labor in the digital economy. And if we look at some of the more interesting and intelligent photographic practitioners working with the representation of the digital, specifically Simon Norfolk and Trevor Pagland's attempts to make visible the materiality of digital infrastructure, we run up against another classic and boringly familiar problematic of photographic discourse. Quote, less than at any time does a simple reproduction of reality tell us anything about reality. A photograph of the corrupt factories or the AEG provides virtually no information about these institutions. True reality is slipped over into functional reality. The reification of human relations, the factory, let's say, no longer reveals these human relations to us. Therefore, something has actually to be constructed, something set up, end quote. The bland blankness of much contemporary art photography seems to distill the spirit of Brecht's impasse, and it's worth remembering just how central to Sekula's practice this issue was, and worth asking what the something set up of Sekula's practice might be. Um, certainly, I would argue, uh, and other people have already touched upon this, this is Sekula's renunciation, which has been explored very eloquently by David Cunningham of the fetish of the single image in favor of work which Sekula claims, quote, bases itself on the principles of montage, either relational sets of images or images and text or images and gesture, end quote. To this, I would add that we shouldn't look at Fish Story as a complete piece of work, but it, I would argue it must rather be seen as part of a continuum with bodies of work, including but not limited to Freeway to China, version two for Liverpool, um, Shipwreck and Workers, Ship of Fools, and the Dockers Museum and the films Lottery of the Sea and The Forgotten Space. However, um, surprisingly given uh, this, uh, this something set up, which I'm arguing is what distinguishes Sekula's work, uh, the Brechtian impasse is just the problematic which geographer Felix, Philip Steinberg identifies as operating in the forgotten space. Steinberg questions whether the visual reproduction of maritime logistical processes is possessed of any intrinsic radicality today, arguing that the sheer scale and complexity of circuits of capital accumulation as a total system are fundamentally unrepresentable. For Steinberg, <coughs> while it is not a challenge to identify and depict material aspects of the total logistical processes which, like the ship or the container, are critically implicated in the functioning of capitalism, quote, the resulting representation of these capitalist artifacts will inevitably fail to reveal the totality of underlying processes that govern how they are produced, moved, and consumed. Such a partial representation, Steinberg writes, can actually serve to obscure. Steinberg's evaluation of the film 
is rooted in an assertion that it neglects to engage sufficiently with that most forgotten of spaces, the sea itself, and that it fails to provide a counter-narrative to the triumph of capital, a depiction of the sea not as the space of seamless flows, but as a material space of frictions, both spatial and human. Steinberg's critique of Sekula's film might be seen as part of a larger critique of Marx's conceptions of global history, of the capitalist expansion of imperialism, a position which is most convincingly articulated by historian and theorist of empire Tim Mitchell. A writing, claims Mitchell, to which we might add a photography, a writing that simply documents in increasing detail an ever-expanding globalization of capital, simply reiterates and reinforces the process one wants to question. Mitchell's concern is that each moment of specificity and difference is folded into the linearity of the West's history, only serving to reinforce modernity's homogeneity and subsuming otherness as a constituent resource to the singular unified nowness that defines modernity. There is no possibility of more than one history of a non-singular capitalism, Mitchell <coughs> writes. The Caribbean slave plantation, he continues, although longer lasting than the 19th century English factory, could be no more than a curious form of what later emerged in its normal form in the West, end quote. Mitchell's critique is just one iteration of a position which questions the totalizing force of capital in the name of resisting the folding of histories of subaltern struggle into a linear narrative of the West. While Vivek Chibber's recent book, Postcolonial Theory and the Spectre of Capital, offers a much needed and rigorous critique of this position, it is an experience I had in uh, this same university at a talk given by Susan Buck Morse, which I rely upon here for a riposte to this pervasive perspective on globalization and its histories. In the Q&A following the talk, Peter Osborne offered a critique of the assumptions underlying Buck Morse's presentation of a series of examples of non-Western visual culture as a means for destabilizing our conception of a linear global art history. Osborne pointed out, and I am paraphrasing here, no one ever said modernity was the victory of the West, it was the victory of capital. The reason I've uh, gone to this somewhat convoluted discussion is to um, assert that Fish's story and Sekula's broader project could be said to have visualized the very current arguments made by Osborne and Chibber. What I would argue Steinberg misses in his critique of Fish's story is that in its attempt to represent the global, the deferral of each image onto an, an, another image, um, <coughs> which I've suggested is part of Sekula's project, uh, a set of images or texts presents a photography which attempts to come to terms with the global, which is in dialogue with the longer history of photography. With the humanist globalism of Family Man, which Sekula famously critiqued, and also of the empty post-war humanist universalism of the Magnum Photo Agency series, People Are People the World Over. Fish story inverts such a position. Capital is the same the world over, but the lived experience of the way in which the tentacles of the maritime economy reach into and colonize both labor and lived experience more generally is a richly varied one. At the core of Sekula's sustained engagement with the maritime is the revelation in both content and form of the extent to which the forgotten space of the sea is simultaneously repressed and elevated, the way in which it permeates every element of our lives, penetrates into the everyday, but remains the great elephant in the room of contemporary capitalism. The ship is not an isolated thing, but a unit in a makeshift ensemble, Sekula remarks in The Forgotten Space. This is borne out in his representation of the maritime economy, fragmentary, incomplete, expansive. This is an artistic practice redolent 
of Georges Didier Huberman's championing of the atlas as an alternative to the tableau as representational form. Quote, as a visual form of knowledge or a knowledgeable form of seeing, the atlas disrupts all these frames of intelligibility. Against all epistemic purity, the atlas introduces the sensible dimension into knowledge, the diverse and the complete character of each image. Against any aesthetic purity, it introduces the multiple, the diverse, the hybridity of any montage." End quote. It would thus be tempting to suggest that this mode of representation crystallizes the Brechtian something set up, a fish story, as an attempt to come to terms with the global totality of capital. Were it not for a critique offered by Sekula himself of the atlas as artistic practice. An archive, he writes, but not an atlas. The point here is not to take the world upon one's shoulders, but to crouch down to the earth and dig. The atlas is too messy, too contingent, too arbitrary. Perhaps also the anatomical model of the human spine. Where is it? There it is. Um, um, uh, the anatomical model of the human spine included in the collection of objects which make up the Dockers Museum might be seen as a, as a riposte to the image of the figure who holds the world upon his shoulders. So in the renunciation of the atlas, I would instead posit that the radicality of Fish's story lies instead in its dialectical commitment to both the panorama and the detail, the expansive and the limited, the vastness of the sea against the everyday of human life. In Fish's story, Sekula claims, quote, the operating tension at the level of images was that between the panorama and the detail, and so I proceeded by means of details, one little floating element after another. In the claustrophobia of those views, there is some sense of intimate space, of little still lives provisionally suspended in an unrepresentational vastness, end quote. Sekula here presents a lesson in negotiating the general and particular, explicated to the relation of the fragment to the total, the global and local, the messy contingency of everyday life to the totality of capital. One might see in the cold blankness of much of the contemporary art documentary genre uh, as an, an attempt to reestablish the mode of theorizing the world dear to Hans Blumenberg, the objective position of externality. Sekula makes no such claim. As Sally Stein's discussion of the figure riding the globe, um, which uh, appears in the uh, recent edited volume um, on, on the um, uh, Ship of Fools and the Dockers Museum, uh, unfortunately, an image which I don't have a reproduction of. Um, this is a figure who crouches down to the earth to dig, who is not afraid of getting his hands dirty. Especially given the later collecting practices of the Dockers Museum, we might describe this as a radical humanism which corresponds to Benjamin's figure of the rag picker. I want to end with the image of Sekula as mudlarker sifting among the flotsam and jetsam of maritime culture, which has endured to float to the surface of history. Thank you. Thank you. I invite the four speakers to come back up here to take a seat. Um, and um, Tamar has agreed to serve as somewhat of a discussant or respondent and at least begin to open uh, some questions for us about um, the book as well as the presentations, which, um, so I'll hand it over to Tamar. Should I, are there microphones? Why don't you join us? <coughs> Bring a chair up there and let's turn our mic on. Yeah, please. 
Um, well, thank you all of you for these extraordinarily um, rich presentations. If anything was an act in thinking with Sekula, um, I, I think that um, tonight there's been a, a, an extraordinary demonstration of that, and um, I'm not sure that I can even be adequate to thinking the complexity with you thinkers, but um, a, few, a few reflections and thoughts. I mean, in counter-distinction to Steve, who knew Sekula for so long, um, I only got to know him in the last few years of his life, but because of the intensity of his person and of his engagement, um, knowing him as I did for about maybe three or four years was an, it was, it was an extraordinary encounter. And it's, uh, the way we met was actually at Parry Photo. Um, so some of the things that you are talking about, that all of you are talking about in relationship between the, the relation of his practice and his theory became very vividly um, in place for me at that point because he were, had one of the very few gallery exhibitions that he had. I mean, his relationship to the gallery is, is an interesting one. And one of the extraordinary things, I guess, about Fish Story is its um, iteration of the imbrication of theory and practice of writing and image making and the use of a form that actually can't be accommodated within the gallery system and within the art market. But when I first encountered him, um, we went off, he and Sally Stein and Abigail Solomon Godot, with whom I, I met him, and Alan, to the opening of his show in Paris at a small dealer where there was hardly a soul. It was a kind of depressing, miserable <coughs> experience with Alan anxious for approbation from the art world, which he didn't get. And that was, that was the kind of extraordinary encounter I had in the sense that I had got to know Sekula's work through the writing and this incredible, rich, theoretical edifice because he is such an amazing writer. Um, and I had been less able to understand, which I now much better do, the extraordinary um, uh, achievement, really, of the photographic work, especially in relation to the kind of questions that many of you have, or the kind of issues that many of you have raised around abstraction and montage and engagement between modernism and realism, which I heard coming through so many of the presentations here. So when I went along with him in a taxi to the opening of the show, and watched this forlorn and miserable gathering of 10 or 15 people in a room, and Sekula deeply depressed about <laughs> the fact that his work had no market. There was a kind of weird um, you know, disjunction there between, between what one knew as a theorist and what one also knew as a critic, uh, and, and somebody you know, with a trenchant understanding of the circulation of commodities and goods and the art market as part of that, with that incredible vulnerability in relation to his own reception. So, I mean, I know that Steve, you'll understand this much better, I guess, than I, but this is one of the things that's, that, that struck me. And I suppose it brought into visibility for me the kind of tensions of what it means to make art within this context. You know, how do you make art within this context? How do you maintain a trenchant, critical project um, one that is engaged with all these absolutely 
fundamental um, radical forms of critique of the history of image making, because he's a brilliant art historian and writer. I mean, he's writing on, on Turner, for example, in, in Fish Story. Um, for me, was an absolute revelation when I first um, read it. So I'm interested to hear you all talk a little bit more about this relationship between what it is to make a practice, what it is to be a theorist, how one navigates these extremely overdetermined and complex um, circuits of circulation of the art world and of the world of critical theory and of the world of um, the academy, the university, the art school, and, um, and kind of Marxist practice. So that was one of the things that came to mind um, when, when, when I was listening to you, and it was reminding me of my own um, first encounter with him. After that, we had a long conversation, which mostly centered on the family of man, because he was very, very interested in, in, in South African photography, which is what I was working on at the time. And we developed a kind of lively debate about um, how, whether we could universalize the uh, critique of Bart that he so trenchantly made, and which was so important for many of us, um, to points of reception, whether it was in South Africa, or it was in India, or it was in Japan, where the family of man actually meant something completely different. So questions then, again, about the universal claims, really, of his critique and where it comes from, and whether it really can translate into what I would think of as a genuinely located um, point or axis of reception. Um, yes, we're dealing with the phenomena of globalization and the circulation of goods and people in this extraordinary infrastructure called shipping or maritime life. But the point of articulation of that comes very much from LA, to go back to Andrew, what you were saying, and his own situatedness within a particular context of the American Academy. So for those of us trying to think from elsewhere, that, it, that opened up a kind of lively um, debate. And two other areas which um, for me are uh, and I say this only in homage to his extraordinariness, but which have left me questioning and thinking a lot with him and um, against him in some ways. One comes from Christina Sharp's critique um, of the uh, way in which uh, Sekula's um, peopling of the world, in her view, and you may disagree with this, Steve, because of the invocation of Glissant that comes into the new introduction, etc. But there is a, an anxiety about what he does with the Atlantic Passage and with the history of slavery, and whether that is a huge lacuna in the project or not. And I think that might be something that, because race is obviously very staged, but is the history of that particular form of enslaved labor adequately integrated into this? mapping of global capital and maritime. That would be my one question. The other is something that I've never read anywhere, but it's always puzzled me, um, in that you know I've always associated uh, port cities, having grown up in Cape Town, and maritime culture with sex work. And particularly with the, if you look at the way in which women figure in the body of work that we look at, and it's extraordinary, you do get some um, interesting uh, forms of laboring women, usually quite androgynously inflected. But the whole culture of sex work has no place at all in this, um, in this mapping 
of the economy, and it's a crucial, fundamental part of maritime economy, is to think of port cities and, and sex work. So those are the sort of some of my responses um, to listening to you all, and I'd just be really interested to hear what you have to say. So um, I don't know how you want to do it. Do you, you want to open it up? And... Um, sure. I mean, I imagine you hear from speakers. I, I, I guess I'm just briefly in response to your last comment, it does come up in Forgotten Space. That's <coughs> yes, there's a, it's maybe not as much in Fishboy, but it does oh. surface in Forgotten Space. I can't remember exactly, but there is a passage that addresses um, that aspect. But, I guess I would start by just kind of returning to your first comment about his reception and his constant, the constant difficult reception and the way in which his work, um, although, I mean, this is again kind of why I wanted, I organized this event and these speakers together because I felt the need to really think this as a photographic project, whatever that might mean in its multiplicities, not as just a kind of set of photographs so that he was a photographer, which I tried to talk about, but how for people, for at least as I know, the, the, the speakers who have are so steeped and engaged within the history of photography, the work almost seems so <laughs> central. It's, it's impossible to kind of, it's impossible not to think with it and teach a history of photography, especially in a kind of American context, which I know not all of the speakers are engaged with, but some of them. Yet at the same time, every time you do confront it, you realize also how illegible it is as well, that it just doesn't, um, that it still needs to be kind of thought through. And I, that confrontation is always so um, kind of difficult for me and especially is why, you know, it, and, and is, is kind of why I, you know, really second or champion Steve's point about what the ways in which the reception needs to really anchor it in the photographic. And it does go back to the fact that, you know, I mean, if I'm wrong, but he's never had a major retrospective in the United States. And that it's not, his reception in Europe is much more established, but it seems that it's also, there's a block in America on this work, which I think is really interesting as well. He has a gallery in, London, in um, LA, um, but it does have to do with that kind of, do we wanna read while we're looking at photographs? And again, it goes, you know, to go back to the point, you know, that I was, you know, that I briefly kind of addressed is that, the engagement with the photo book is so there that for him, those things were never kind of separate, that he's mining that history and really understanding that it's almost impossible not to have that in relation to photographs and that the language of photography is built in with that. And I just wonder though, although those projects seem, you know, they're having a, a resurgence and that people are, you know, obsessed with the photo book in, in a way, <coughs> it's, it's not, specific enough to the kinds of things that he's doing. That still kind of, I think, slips out of focus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, you know, what I wanted to do here was kind of actually bring that into the, the focus. Mm -hmm. And I think the speakers did a great job of doing that in the various ways. Um, but I'll pass it on to Steve. Okay, I mean, I don't want to, in response to everything, I don't want to say, well, what Alan said to me, um, <laughs> but what Alan said to me, um, in the 90s is that he didn't have a single work in any American collection. Um, I think the reception is very peculiar and very uneven, and I think that in Holland and Belgium, for instance, that there's been a much bigger reception and a, and a lot more shows and so forth. But, but Stephanie's right, there's still not a major retrospective. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that 
it's part of a problem of those who, those of us who have to live with the consequences of our critique, right? You know that there is a kind of way in which Alan was so radical and militant in his politics that he pissed so many people off, you know, and that that is not without its consequences. And so I think that one always has to think about that in terms of, of the reception. So I, I think you're right, but I think the reception has to be thought unevenly. Um, I mean, you asked a lot of things, and the two things I'd want to pick up on are about those absences in, um, in Fish Story and subsequent work, because it's one of the things that's surfacing and people are talking about. And in one sense, I think the critiques are right. The, the history of slavery and the Middle Passage isn't adequately integrated into the project. I think that's, I think that's true. Although I think it's, it is there, and I think that uh, Jeroen Verbeek is uh, doing a lot of work on that absence. And Jeroen has, has said that um, uh, in his reading of, of the work that it was meant to be there in those projects, but that what happened is that Alan's illness actually ultimately prevented him doing it. So that that was meant to be incorporated into the project. The sex work is, is I think, a different kind of issue, though. It, I mean, I think you're right. Um, but one of the things that's very interesting is that the representation, that wonderful representation of um, the uh, woman uh, longshore organiser in Los Angeles who makes that wonderful statement where she said, you know, kind of pretty soon we'll all be living on the damn freeway if we don't win this fight. He told me that on, on installing that in an American gallery, the woman gallerist wanted him to, to take it down because she said it was a picture of a whore. Right? So this is a picture of an American uh, labour organiser who is, uh, according to a kind of middle-class American feminist, was a whore because all she could see in terms of working-class woman was a prostitute. Right? So, so I think that the problem, or part of the problem, for representing sex work in Fish Story was how to negotiate that problem. And I don't think he found an adequate way to deal with it uh, in a point at which um, the, you know, it, was, it was very difficult to even kind of represent working-class women without them being taken to be effectively sex workers. That how to deal with that, I think, was, was just such a problem in that moment. So the, the, the last point I'd make about that is it does worry me that the, that the critiques about the absences are actually kind of very determinate in what it is that they're trying to occlude. And that that's the, you know, those things incorporation into, into the circuits of, of capital accumulation and to hide or occlude or forget what the, the bigger picture of this was. So I agree with you, Tamara. I think there are real absences in that. And one of the things I think that's happening with a newer generation of critical thinkers and artists is that, is that to rethink those things through the histories of capital rather than what, they, what happened in the 80s and 90s was to separate them all out as though they were discrete, discrete histories. So what's going on now with, kind of the, with debates on social reproduction, on intersectionality or whatever, is to rethink precisely those kinds of things on the basis of thinking of trajectories of accumulation. But I think in the time that, that Fish Story came out, I don't think he could see a way to do that. And, I, I, you know, and that's, that's an absence but it's also a kind of over-determined one, I think. 
Yeah, and it's also very interesting because, of course, he cut his teeth amongst the feminist, um, you know, the, the, his cohort of feminist close sure. associates and sure. friends. Who, you know, Suzanne Lacey's doing her sex work project. He's, you know, living with Martha Rosler. He's yeah. that is his community yeah, yeah. in the in the yeah. 70s. So it's this is, as you say, I'm sure it's it's, it's nothing to do with unawareness or un. As, you know, it's not that his consciousness wasn't raised. It's just, as I think you're absolutely right, finding a way to do that for him in his language is incredibly um, difficult. But yeah, really interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just in response, but or to add, I wonder also if it has in the in the docking that takes place in Fishjoy between kind of the established history of subpoternism and the ones that don't that can't surface. That blind, that, that blind spot is already there. So he mm. has to deal with it in relation to the fact that there, although there are obvious, you know, incredible representations of the slave trade that could have fit into that story, those don't emerge within the state. They're, they're blind at that moment. They're still not part of that history. Mm. And I think he's always jockeying <coughs> that kind of relationship between what is visible and present and can be made use of and, uh, you know, what's included by, occluded by that as well. And maybe felt in, you know, there's something in that. Because if you look at, you know, because what I, again, what always struck me about the story is not just his photographs, but the fact that it brings in all of this, it's this like amazing history of the way in which the sea is its protagonist within the history of modernism. But the, you know, he doesn't choose Cerner's slave ship, he chooses a different, you know, so there's ways in which that, those blindnesses are kind of present within yeah. the, the kind of established history. And just one small point, and then I'll, I'll hand over, is that, you know, I can never see that image of the, of the container ship without thinking of the slave ship. Mm. That it does, it does always evoke for me the packed bodies in that famous diagram. So, you know, there is a kind of way in which I think there's a, there's a met metonymic connection, at least, in that, and, you know, I mean, the section's called, you know, Middle Passage. So it's not, not there, you know, it's kind of... Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't have like any anything particularly profound to say about that. I, I think that there's probably a sense. I mean, I totally agree with this with this critique, um, uh, which has certainly um, been emerging uh, recently, um, especially around the elision of, of race. There, I sort of think there's probably a point there to be made about Sekula's reluctance to engage in the sort of poverty, uh, the pornography of suffering and uh, probably feeling that it, he wasn't the position, well positioned to, to tell that particular story, whether it be the story of slavery or you know, issues around prostitution and having a certain reluctance to, to kind of go into that. But I, I, you know, just to stretch that a little bit, do you think also because for our generation now and because of the way in which um, you know the sea has, has become this unbelievably um, painful and fraught space in terms of what's happening you know in the Mediterranean and um, and in terms of questions of migration and and um, and, and you know um, drowning and death um, what strikes me also is that it, it alerts us to an, a, a bigger absence. So on the one hand, in terms of historical navigation, there is a kind of subliminal, you're right, there's a subliminal consciousness that's there of the history of slavery. Um, but, there is also, but there is an erasure 
of those people who are transported on the sea, who are not the workers, because he's so interested in labor and in capital, the sea becomes the vector or the, the boat becomes the container of the, of the, um, you know, the laboring forces who, who enable it or who are enabled by it in terms of the way in which their lived identities as working people is constructed. But the many, many people who are transported, the refugees and the asylum seekers and the other forms of passenger are also invisible. And for us now, because of our own kind of traumatic relationship to the present, that becomes, which I never noticed 10 years ago, but now I notice it vividly. And I wonder whether that also speaks to a new generational awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the people who are carried on those ships who are not workers, who are carried willingly or unwillingly, who are escaping and fleeing and drowning. That, and that was the case already then, but maybe not as an emergency situation as we now experience it. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. just to address that point, there is one of the final images um, in this fish story is the sea's boat that was actually transporting migrant mm -hmm. workers across the US border. And so I think that, and he couples that with an image of uh, like, a, like a boat from the US Navy. So he superimposes this, like, this boat that's you know, transporting all these migrant populations from the South um, with this other image of you know, American imperialism. But what's, uh, the one point I wanna make is the fact that uh, he, he obviously addresses a lot of these, these like, race is, is central in, in throughout Fish Story, especially in the context of LA, and he always links it to the history of um, like an economic question around eviction. Um, so the eviction of, you know, uh, uh, we, the, one of the last passages is actually this, this account where he talks about the seizure and, um, and the incarceration of Japanese Americans. Um, in, 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 the, in 1941, um, the, obviously the, the, the image of the burning building um, in Koreatown in Los Angeles, but that image is also coupled with this image of solidarity between Korean workers, um, uh, mechanics, and, and black workers in San Diego fixing a, a, a boat. Um, and, and so, so he's, you know, so that, I think this is like an important thing to keep in mind um, that he tries to, to think, uh, yeah, this, these contemporary relations perhaps present a, a, a different image to the image of, they say, race relations in Los Angeles in, in the early 90s, which is, is kind of simplified and not addressing questions around economics or eviction or what have you. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, there's, there's not much that I think I say that anybody hasn't said on that particular issue, but I guess I'll tackle the... Um, the question of his relationship between his practice and his theory at this point. I mean, I think that one of the things that I came up against or, or that, that kind of that jarred in a certain sense of what I was doing this time when I was thinking about the state of this book is his claim at this point to have shifted from artist and theorist to <coughs> photographer and writer. And that, that is in some sense some kind of new unity of some sort in his work in terms of what he's doing. Um, so there's something about, um, I mean, my own kind of project of trying to read some of these small... Um, comments that he makes about Marxian, you know, because they, they're, they're sort of suggestions that he makes at certain points that I have then taken on in a certain sense and kind of read through the book, you know, I'm finding myself reading it alongside Capital and, you know, in some sense it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a train, that, that a sort of a trail that he's led me on. 
that I've ended up kind of you know following. So I think there's there's something interesting about the status of what he's doing with theory at this point that he's plotting these different routes through the book, which and there are there are so many of them that you can kind of find yourself doing. The, the other thing that that I think is that I come across a lot. Um, we're trying to kind of explain Sekula and trying to explain my interest and kind of fascination with Sekula to people um, who may not be interested in the, with him in the first place is trying to explain, trying to kind of um, get beyond the perception that there is some sense in which the work is an intellectual work rather than a, a work of photography, right? That it's that it's <coughs> that's, that was the, that was the, the critique of it by um, Chevrier, right? That it's an illustration of a theory in some mm -hmm. way. So I think that there's there's a um, there's an interesting problem here in terms of how he starts to integrate theory into the work, and I'm not sure if I've quite got to the, to, to, grip, to, to grips of it yet. But um, my my way of working with it is to try to think about how this process of sequencing that you see in something like Capital is almost it's almost it's almost as if he, he kind of extracts a kind of photographic imagination in, in Marx almost of kind of of, of setting um, lenses <coughs> of some sort upon um, particulars that would then in some sense denature them but in the, in the same way allow them to be focused upon in some way so there's a sort of that's at least my my kind of um, this is this is the route that, that that he's led me down and whether it's a you know of course it's that this is one part of the nature of Fischler as well is that it, it's open to it's 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 it, it, I think I mean I think Steve said this before, but it's it's got a kind of democratic openness. The principle the principle is that it has this kind of this capacity to be to, to be open to that kind of two readings, which may be you know wild goose chases, in, but they may also be a, you know so there's something there's something about the book that encourages that kind of work. The, the other the, another thing to say about it is that, that the um, it is an amazing labour to try to work with Sekula's work, and he's he's invested in a model of the work's difficulty. Yeah. He, he's very, very invested in that idea, and he, at certain points he, um, he he posits that as a resistance against a kind of commercial way of working. For example, that the, the difficulty of it is is part of the the value of the work in some sense. And I think that it's interesting to think about where that stands now, particularly within a photographic culture. What 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 does that kind of idea of having a sort of it's it's almost as if um, he he requires a, a sort of an approach that the sort of approach that would be able to have that kind of photo literacy and also cinematic literacy and theoretical literacy to the point um, which is, you know, I'm not, it, it's hard to tell whether something like that is still, um, some, whether it was, it's still legible in that way or whether that is still something that is easily accessible as a... story as like the big the first research project as art is that how you described it I think I said the first uh, how did I put it the first, um, probably the first major project of artist social research okay so well I'm not sure about that in terms of like how, how, how you would how you would see that in relation to particularly stuff like, uh, the thing that immediately sprung to mind, maybe it's I spent the weekend with a five-month-old baby, but I was thinking of like Mary Kelly's postpartum document that 
could arguably be seen in that light. Mm -hmm. um, or other works associated with conceptualism. Mm -hmm. But the, the question that I wanted to ask was really one more in relation to things that other people said about what that project that he is undoubtedly a kind of instigator of this trajectory of art as a kind of social research, um, how that stands now and how that also links in with some of the things that Tamar was saying about <coughs> going to his gallery and you know him being disappointed or, or the difficulty of not having a commercially viable artistic practice where now like a whole system has emerged since then where you you can That's be an artist idea. that is a social yeah. researcher and make you don't need I mean you're not gonna you're not gonna have the same kind of life as Batinsky mm -hmm. or whatever like the people that make those spectacular mm -hmm. photographs that have become almost more like art objects as the social yeah. research career path has kind of emerged. So, I don't know, maybe, yeah, how do you see that now as that role of the artist as social researcher has kind of become more and more institutionalized and solidified in some sense? Yeah, do you want me to? Uh, you know, I mean, <coughs> whether it's the first, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's a shift, though, that takes place, which, which involves a kind of um, extensive extensive kind of labour of research that, that goes on into this. In a way that, I mean, certainly Mary Kelly, um, you know, that there's a kind of, there's a great deal of theory and thinking, but I don't think that there's the kind of idea of social research that you get in a project like Fish Story. I think, certainly you're right though, I mean, one of the things that, that's really shifted, and I think, it, I think it's one of the works that shifts the ground, right? So it makes it possible for somebody like Maria Icon to do what she does. Um, and that, you know, wh where one can present not even the pictures anymore, simply the kind of the act of research, the notes, the, the whatever, and to see that instigated in major kind of exhibitions all over, all over Europe. Um, so I think that there's been a, a, a real shift in a, in a kind of field. But I think one of the things that's enabled that is what Fish Story did. And I think that so many of the things that Alan did in that period, and we have to remember it's really, it was really cutting against the grain when he did this, against a kind of postmodern stage tableau, against a kind of argument that anybody who spoke about labor was somehow dusty and dead and forgotten. And, you know, I mean, the, the, this was really a kind of work that was against the grain in so many ways. But I think for that second generation reception, if I try to think about that as three waves, that what he was doing in the, in the, in the early and mid-90s has become so generative for subsequent work, right? So the whole series, I mean, there's so much of, of what's going on at the moment that just seems to me inconceivable without this project. It's just that with so much of the work, like someone like Maria Icorn, like a lot of contemporary artistic practice that, sorry, um, <laughs> that, that, that is research, there's a total withdrawal of the visual, which doesn't yeah. happen yeah. here. And no, so, I, I think yeah. that's right. I think that's right. So I'm not saying it's the same thing, but I think there's a shift which takes place which enables something else to happen. And, you know, it's a vanishing mediator, I guess, in, in that sense. Um, so I wouldn't want to make any more claims for it than that, although I do think it was the most important artwork in any medium of the 1990s. Um, put my cards on the table. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that for a whole 
whole range of, of, of reasons. I don't think it's necessarily successful, but I think I would still want to say that about it. Um, and, but I think that what's, what it's enabled to happen is something else, and, and what those things have done is they've gone elsewhere. I mean, they have been incorporated into the global system in a way that Alan wasn't and probably never really could have been. Um, I'm interested in why he was quite so resentful about the fact that he didn't sell. But, you know, we, c we can talk about that. I mean, you know, he had to fund those trips. But, but um, it wasn't only that, he wanted an audience. He wanted to know yes, I think that's audience. true. I think that's true. I just had some thoughts um, about the photographic book. I hesitate to use the word photo book because nobody, nobody used that until the 21st century. It had become a kind of boutique form. Um, my feeling is with Sekula that his understanding of the modernist photo book, and I guess we mean photo book. I guess we mean books from between the wars, largely European books from between the wars. An American. A couple of American, <laughs> Evans's, uh, is that photography at that moment was understood as existing between any number of discourses. <coughs> might be anthropology, might be sociology, might be politics, might be art, might be design. Mm -hmm. So when, that, when those books got into bookshops, nobody really knows who bought them and how they read them. I think this is a really important point because that, that kind of openness is not possible by the time Sekula arrives. It's already, as you say, it's social research as art. That, that openness that was there for photography at that point has gone, largely. And there's a frustration in Sekula, and that's why he gets frustrated at the openings, and that's why he wants to be in the gallery at all. It always struck me that it was preposterous that he wanted anything to do with galleries. I mean, if he, if he was so interested in the book, just what, he's got a living, he's got a salary, he's got a good job, really good job. You could just make the books. I, I just, I couldn't understand why he was so engaged with it. And then got so disappointed looking at frustrated people. I mean, I went all the way to Vienna to see the big retrospective and it was nice, you know, pilgrimage, box ticked, but I'd have been just as happy sitting at home with the books. I really would have been. Well, they are. Well, just one but point my main, about that. My main point is just, about this. Sure, this but just one point. This. I mean, he was always interested in impure forms, right? So, uh, so image and text. But also, you know, what the gallery allowed him to do was incorporate slides, and sound, mm -hmm. and kind of to mix stuff up. The aerospace book sells has to have sound. Yeah. yeah. And it's not the only one. Well, that know, version so of it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, you could read them as transcripts, but I imagine hearing the voice of your it's, mother. It's, yes. it's, actually, it's actually the early 70s works that seem to demand exhibition space. Fish Story has slide sequences. Yeah. And, and readings. And, yeah. You can say, I, I take your point yeah. about made for MoMA and through yeah. MoMA. So that that's when it changes. Yeah, in a way. that has a that's an example of one that at least you kind of have an understanding of the yeah. art object slash 
documentary book form. Mm -hmm. That's just an aside. Um, I don't know if anyone else wants to. If we could. There was a couple other questions. I don't can't recall. <laughs> Okay, um, uh, well, the panel's partly responded to, to my question, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, I, was, I, I was trying to think uh, uh, how, uh, uh, how fish story relates to contemporary practice, or contem contemporary uh, uh, practice, particularly in, in photographic fine art. Um, and I was wondering how many art students might be here tonight. It's largely, it's largely an art history forum, um, and uh, uh, there is a sense, perhaps, in which you know uh, it, it is a kind of work that relies to, to an important degree on quite formidable scholarship, um, uh, and indeed that's one of its great strengths. But it belongs also to a kind of distinguished history of the photo essay. Um, and, and, I, and I think one, one of the great strengths of Schooler's work is, is that it revived interest in that uh, quite, quite significant um, uh, part of the history of 20th century art. Uh, so that's good. But um, I do wonder about the method. I mean, it relies, as I say, on quite a formidable level of, uh, of, of, of scholarship. And uh, I wondered how that might be mapped onto contemporary art practice. Uh, just one further point, of course, is the strength of the work is that, is that it has close connection with political activism, uh, and so it, it, you know it has a it has a, a life beyond the academy, and, and uh, you know that's that's good. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was just a quick point coming back to you, Steve, about you were saying about Alan. I mean, I've only met, I only, met him, only ever met him once in Liverpool when I helped hang the show at the Open Eye Gallery when I was a, a volunteer back in the day. And I remember spending a very, a lo very long day hanging the show, but actually Alan being most obsessed with the sound from a video piece that was accompanying it. And it was something that he really spent a lot of time just getting the right dynamics of that sound space, uh, in the, sound working in the space. So it worked with the photographs and all the other materials. Are there other questions, comments? Okay. Um, well, thank you for coming. And um, thank you to the speakers for um, sharing their thoughts on this book. I really do appreciate it, especially in the middle of a very busy term. Um, there is drinks in the back as well as the book is on sale as well for a slightly <coughs> reduced price for those of you who are eager to um, have a copy of Fish Story. Um, and thank you again, everyone, for joining